This week on Overtime, we talk about what it means to live right and to be perfect. This is one you don't want to miss. Make sure you like and subscribe. Let's get it. Welcome to Sinner City Overtime, a weekly podcast where we take a little more time to dive into Sunday's message. And before we get to the message, I do this every time, but I'm so excited every time. Baptisms were amazing on Let's Sunday. It, there's just something cool about seeing people who have chosen to say, I'm dying to myself and being raised in new life in Jesus. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's, we use a term frequently and I think it's kind of lost its oomph, but it's a, it's a, a living testimony. Like, um, you know, I, I use this phrase all the time because I stole it from somebody, but it's soaking <laughs> wet proof of a life that's been changed. But uh, I, I, I know why the Lord speaks and, and scripture speaks so highly of the process of baptism and why it's such a strong, um, you know, part of our faith. Um, it's because it does. It's such a mark, a marked moment of transformation. Like you're just letting mm-hmm. the world know. And even, you know, we had people in the, in the tank that were, you know, in um, later a little later on in life, and then we had young people, um, you know, in their thirties and twenties and thirties, and then we had you know kids that mm-hmm. were, uh, you know, ten and eleven years old that were being baptized, and families. So it's just a phenomenal picture yeah. of all that the Lord is doing inside of a person. And if you've never been water baptized before, and you're a part of this community, or you're part of any community, mm-hmm. I would suggest like. Take the plunge. Yeah, you know, pun literally. Intended. Um, <laughs> take that that next step and um, live your faith out loud. Mm-hmm. I feel like we get into series like Kingdom Over Everything, and it can be kind of heavy and it can feel hard because what you've been preaching about, which is just what Jesus preached about, so we won't blame you for it. Um, it's it's a challenging thing, and it can almost feel like why would God expect all of this of me? And watching baptism, at least for me, helped put that back in perspective of Jesus doesn't call us to modify our behavior. He's taking something that was dead and raising us to new life. And so like, I don't know if it was just for me, but seeing everyone be baptized was that reminder that kingdom over everything isn't about trying harder. It's not about struggling with what might be unrealistic expectations that God has put on us, like being perfect, which we'll talk about in a minute. But it's really about living out that new life in this new kingdom that Jesus made possible. Yeah, I think it was a phenomenal picture um, for not just where we are currently in the middle of this word, but really where we've been as a church. Mm-hmm. Um, what people kind of demonstrated through baptism, we're seeing happening over and over in the life of people. So it was good. it was a big moment. Yeah, yeah. So being perfect. Yeah. Speaking of maybe unrealistic expectations. <laughs> You did a great job, I thought, on Sunday of breaking down a little bit of what that word means that has been translated to perfect. Will you kind of go into that, maybe even in a little bit more depth? Yeah, so the more I, the more I did the study, the more I recognized that um, people are looking for what it means to be right. We maybe not use the word purpose, per- perfect, but we do use the word right. Mm-hmm. And um, the original translation of that word actually can be broken down into several forms. And one of those is to be genuine or to be true. Um, another way, is, uh, another kind of form of that word is to be complete or to be finished. Uh, and then there's to be matured or to be an adult. And then lastly is to be initiated or brought into community. And, you know, that that's that's the original intention of that word. So 
when we hear Jesus say, be perfect, he has a fuller view of what perfection is and gives us insight on how we can live that way. Mm -hmm. Now, I know you're not Jesus, so you can't necessarily speak for what he was thinking, but I'm curious in the context of this Sermon on the Mount, and we've talked about kingdom over anger and kingdom over lust. Why do you think he talked about being perfect kind of right around the time that he was talking about um, not hating our enemies and going the extra mile when someone, when someone slaps us, turning the other cheek, that sort of thing. Why do you think that is where Jesus put this instruction to be perfect? Um, I, I think because what he's doing is he's redefining what right is. Mm -hmm. And all those things, you know, you, you hear him from the beginning of this conversation, um, redefining his authority, like he's letting people know you, you know, this is what your ancestors said. And as much as you love Moses, and it's great that you love Moses, this is what I'm saying. So there's that redefining. As, as much as you understand the law and read the law and, you know, an eye for an eye, this is what I'm saying. So I'm redefining your understanding and re I, want, I need you to reimagine what it looks like to live genuinely. Like this is the life, you know, often we say Jesus came to have life and that we would have life and have it more abundantly. This is what more abundant living looks like. If there's anger in your life, if there's uh, hate in your life, if there's revenge, if you're living in that place of revenge, these things only lit, uh, live to, to separate you from the fullness of the life that God's called you to. So he's letting you know, here's the new plumb line. This is mm -hmm. what it looks like to live right. Yeah, thanks, sir. I had no idea what a plumb line was. To be honest, I still kind of have no idea what a plumb line is. Yeah. But it was a good illustration. Um, these are really hard passages for me. I think because like there's this kind of sense of justice in me and this doesn't feel just. So when Jesus says, when someone hits you, turn the other cheek, or when someone gives you their pack and asks you to walk a mile, go the extra mile, give someone the coat off of your back. I can't remember exactly what, I think I did okay yeah. on the passage. Um, and so I, I guess my, my question, I don't even know exactly what the question is, but I feel like there are probably other people struggling with why would God ask me to do this in a situation where it's unfair? Like if God, as my father, doesn't want me to be hit by someone, why would he want me to turn the other cheek and get hit again? Well, because our perspective of what's fair is off. I mean, really, mm -hmm. Lord, I need you to transform my life. I'm, I've, you know, I'm coming to you broken. I've made a mess of things. This is what you need to do. I'm not sure. I would do it that way. Um, our perspective of justice is wrong and he's redefining it, mm -hmm. right? Like we know what it's like to, you know, uh, and we talked a little bit about this on Sunday. When somebody takes from you, the natural inclination, I know we cover it up with that word justice, but what we really want is for you to hurt the way that I've hurt. And it's only fair when you hurt because I've hurt. Mm -hmm. That's not justice. That's revenge, right? Like that's what you're looking for. And I think within us, what Jesus is really trying to get us to do, because he's more concerned with who we are than what we do. He's trying to get us down to the core of who we are to say, no, no, I'm redefining everything. Mm -hmm. So I do think that the reason it's challenging for so many of us, specifically in 2023, is, uh, and this, this speaks to a little bit of a larger picture, but I think as the church universal, we have done a horrible job explaining to people that, discipleship means rewiring from mm -hmm. the inside out and everything about what you've known forget about it that's why paul uses language like 
I no longer live because everything I knew about this is wrong. And Jesus is saying, you're right. And here's everything that's right. Mm -hmm. And that's why it wars within us sometimes because again, our flesh wars and we want what we want. Um, and it, I say this all the time, but we want justice for other people, but we want grace for ourselves. And Jesus is like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sending you out as my ambassadors. You're going to love even when other people would justify your hate. You are going to show grace either when other people would justify revenge. What I'm saying is love. What I'm saying is to reconcile. What I'm saying is that you are my ambassadors and these are the messages that I need you to translate through the way that you live. That's good. It's still hard, but good. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's hard. So this is where this is what switched to me last week because I've been a little bit convicted. So if I can't be vulnerable here, like uh, I've been a little convicted because I feel like almost every service or every time we've breached one of these topics, I'm trying my hardest to apologize. And maybe apology is strong. I'm just trying to soften the blow as much mm -hmm. as possible. Like, hey, I need you to know I love you, but this is a tough, we're gonna wrestle with this together. It's okay, we're gonna wrestle with this together. But the more I study, the more I'm realizing that it is absolute freedom on the other side of learning how to live outside of the concept of revenge. Mm -hmm. Like how many people are, are slave to the idea that I have to hurt this person in order so I can feel good about myself. Or if someone slaps me across the cheek, now I have no choice but to live in rage. Well, we know the product of that. What does it look like to live a life totally surrendered means that there is a freedom. And I'm, I'm going back to David and I didn't, I, you know, I used the passage at the beginning of this series and look, David loves the commandments of the Lord and he's found freedom in them. But the more I study this passage, the more I'm leaning into David saying, no, no, there's actually freedom here. Like mm -hmm. this isn't just like, oh, this will, you'll be a better person. No, no, no. This is what it means to live dead to myself, alive in Christ. And there's freedom when I know what's right. Right now we are living in a, a day and age where nobody, everybody is kind of guessing as to what right is, right? Um, the arguments that are happening in our halls of justice, the, the arguments that are happening at school boards uh, meetings, the arguments that are happening in homes, in cars, in cubicles, uh, at workplaces, in schoolhouses, all these conversations that are happening, everybody is trying to figure out what right is. Unfortunately, what the plumb line defines, if you don't build with that perspective of right, your building is weak. Mm -hmm. So Jesus is letting us know this is what right is. And I think if we grab a hold of this, there is freedom here. There really is. And I'm getting excited after every conversation I have with people who are saying, no, no, I'm, I'm starting to deal with my anger and I'm finding that there's freedom. I don't have to live here no more. Mm -hmm. I don't have to live in unforgiveness. I don't have to live in bitterness. You don't have to live in resentment. We are free from those things when we choose to live a life that's perfect or true. It's almost like we've, we have phrased some of the, these things culturally as rights. Like, it's my right to be angry mm -hmm. if you offend me. Um, and really what Jesus is saying is, no, look at the bigger perspective. This is actually like a, a prison that you can mm -hmm. get caught in. It's like a cage, not a right. And, and it is, like you said, it's hard. So I don't want to minimize that because it's hard for me. I, hopefully it's hard for everyone. <laughs> uh, but it is good. Like it's a worthwhile struggle because it is a, a reframing of our perspective about what is, I don't know, it's like there have been blinders on that these, cage, these are cages, they're not rights. Yeah, we get a little bit confused. Um, and I think some of this speaks to our cultural implications, right? Mm -hmm. Like 
as Americans, this is a very American conversation. You speak to yeah. some people overseas and they're like, what are you talking about? We've <laughs> known this. This is the reason why we've been able to turn our cheek under immense persecution. And I'm not talking about the type of persecution that you they get mad because you can't play Christian music at your job. I mean, like real persecution mm -hmm. where they're, you know, um, imprisoning people for gathering on Sunday morning. They're sometimes looking at the American church like, no, no, there's freedom over here. Mm -hmm. But wait, you have no right. Yes, but we have all the freedom. It's a different perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think for so many people, even maybe you watching now, there is freedom on the other side of your surrender to, to living genuinely. And I think, that's, I think that's critical. And Jesus is in Matthew 5 and 6 explaining what it means to live genuinely. Yeah. So I want to kind of shift a little bit but you talked about loving your enemies. So um, Jesus says, you know, it's been said, love your friends and hate your enemies. This is all the Ashley version, the Ashley mm -hmm. translation. Um, but I say to you, love your enemies and yes. pray for those who persecute you. And I kind of want to bring this into a conversation that we had a week ago when we were talking about the woman caught in adultery. And you talked about how love, love has to be connected with truth because it's not mm -hmm. real love if it's not got truth in it also. And yet I think sometimes when we hear love our enemy, what we're hearing is forget about the truth, like just let them do whatever they want. And so I know I didn't prepare you at all for this question and it's a little challenging, but no, what do you think it looks like to love our enemies in a godly love? Yeah, I think um, remember uh, truth is not your truth. It's not my truth. We're not talking mm -hmm. about the circumstance that's happening to me. The truth that Jesus is speaking about is the truth of his word. Right. Above, above all. I know that seems commonsensical, and yet in 2023, that's not <laughs> commonsensical no more. Because if we are living in this place where we all feel like our quote-unquote truths are warring against each other, we'll never find a place of harmony and and love and hopefulness and it becomes you're infringing on my rights and I'm infringing on your rights and it becomes a mess. So when Jesus says, or when, you know, when we read in scripture or communicate this idea of truth, we, we have to be talking about the biblical perspective, right. right? Like, so we're talking about the truth of God's word, mm -hmm. that Jesus came, that Jesus died, that Jesus offered his life, that he resurrected on the third day, that we could find life, like the truth and fullness of the gospel. With that said, I think sometimes when dealing with our enemies, back to that justice word, what we want is fair. It's not truth we're worried mm -hmm. about. We're worried about fair, right? So I don't think there's any point in, in scripture where Jesus is asking you to ignore your enemies. He's asking you to love your enemies. And there's a difference between ignore and, and love. So kind of back to your question, the how of how we love our enemies actually begins with getting over ourselves. Mm -hmm. it's, it's tough to love an enemy when you can't get over how they made you feel or all the things they've done and set against you. You, you kind of got to get over yourself before you can love your enemy. And uh, th to this, to your point earlier, I'm, I'm saying this and none of this is easy. So I just want to make sure you all understand like all of this is a process. Um, but even when Jesus is defining enemy, right? Like Paul says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So who's the, who's the enemy? We war against spiritual principalities like things that w wage war against us so your perceived enemy jesus is saying that's not like you need to love them mm -hmm. um you need to love those who you have made enemies or those who've made enemies out of you 
And the way that you do that starts with getting over yourself. That requires some work. It requires learning how to forgive. It requires time and healing. It does sometimes require conversation and accountability within the context of community. That's why that inclusion idea is, 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 is brought up in this idea of being perfect because you can't do that outside of community. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to start by a resolving the idea that somehow you're gonna win. Because that's the other thing, right? Like if I have an enemy, that means that there's a battle and someone has to win. Mm-hmm. That's not the gospel. At, at, he's already won. And now our goal is just to let the world know that he's already won. So I think it A starts with getting over ourselves. And a part of that is allowing the spirit of God to do the healing that's necessary within us to, to you know, whether, whether you found resolution with that person, whether there's resolution found within the scope of quote unquote what the enemy uh, is I do think there's healing that can be found. There's forgiveness that can be found. There's restoration that can be found. Even if there's never resolution, mm-hmm. there still can be restoration in you and healing in you. Yeah, I, I love that. I feel like I also didn't ask my question clearly because so I'm, I'm going to share a story that you referenced in mm-hmm. the second service and I did not ask my brother permission, so sorry. But um, when I was young, I used to slap my brother on the cheek and then tell him that if he loved Jesus, he needed to turn his cheek and let me slap him on the other cheek, and then I would slap him on the other cheek. Eventually, my brother and the Holy Spirit convicted me that what I was doing was not godly, like it was evil. Um, And so I I guess what I'm asking, I know that's like a small-scale, as-kids story, but if he had continued to only let me hit him over and over again without ever saying, hey, Ashley, I don't think that's what Jesus meant when he said this passage. That wouldn't have actually been loving as far as my own, like, my own spiritual growth and development. So I th- that's kind of what I was getting at. Yeah, like, but loving your enemy doesn't mean that you don't bring correction. Right, so that's what I was asking yeah, 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 about. No. So how do, we, how do we lovingly engage in that correction, not just say, like, oh, well, I'm going to love my enemy by letting them... Well, I mean, I, I don't, we can, we can go in all kinds of different directions here, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm going to tell you there's sometimes where it's, it's your brother, so you're engaged in a deep relationship. So as silly as that illustration is, right? Like, so we'll walk down there. He's going to, he's going, he has the opportunity to speak through relationship. Mm-hmm. Sometimes your quote unquote enemy doesn't have relationship at all. You might have an enemy that you've made up in your head. They mm-hmm. might not even know that they're warring against you. Right, so how do I bring correction at that point? So, so much of this really is dependent on that relationship. And there are seasons where um, you do have the right and ability because of relation to step in, but even in my corrections, I'm correcting in love, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's never a point where it's okay for your brother to haul off and knock you in the mouth. That would would never Mm -hmm. be the solution to this problem. But because there's loving relationship, there's remedy by which he can step in and bring correction working alongside the community of your home to sit down with your mom and dad and be like, tell her to stop hitting me. Um, I don't actually know if mom and dad know that story, but they do now. <laughs> <laughs> but there's ways of, of bringing correction. Again, you, to your point, I don't think you fully love until you, in, in, most re- in, in deep relationships, can bring that type of correction. Mm-hmm. But he's talking about enemies, and often that relationship's not even there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, So it could be... A, I don't know, uh, an, an ex-spouse or a relationship at work that was never friendship, but always it kind of feels like they're always trying to pit you two together. There are times where you can't speak correction. There are times where you can't. Right. But the call is never not to love. Right. 
And it, I think that helps a lot. I hope um, so. <laughs> <laughs> so happens when we don't prepare for these, which we purposely don't, yeah. we get to hear our real-time conversation. Absolutely. Um, so the last place that I kind of want to go with this is, you know, he talks about being perfect, being right, and yet we have the expression, nobody's perfect mm -hmm. for a reason. Yeah. So what would you say to someone who is trying their best to live out what this looks like and then fails as all of us inevitably will? Yeah, again, so our perspective of perfect, I think might be wrong. I think our, our perfect doesn't leave any room for trip ups. Mm -hmm. um, again, back to the uh, definition of that word, genuine, complete. We know that the completion that we have as believers is the completion that we found in Christ. Colossians is Jesus's, or as, as uh, the right of Colossians is speaking about Jesus, he says that we are made complete in union with Christ. So our completion is not a product of who we are or what we've done. Our completion is a product of the decision that we've made to serve Jesus and the life that he has offered to us. That's how we are made complete. And then maturation or maturity um, and then ultimately that we're living in community, that we're initiated into community, that those things are, are what it means to live genuinely. Um, the thing about a plumb line, for those of you who maybe have never seen it, I probably should have brought it, but a plumb line is weighted at the bottom with a string on top and the weight stretches the string. So my kind of um, encouragement to people who are trying to live at that place, it doesn't mean that the string doesn't waver from time to time, but when we are connected to the source that is Jesus, the stretching of our lives bring us to this place where we can live genuinely. I, I don't think Jesus would call us to live at this place of perfection uh, if he didn't give us the means to live there. So we know that we are made complete through Jesus and then he has given us his spirit to do the work that's necessary that we can live genuinely or true. And uh, I don't think that that's far off. I, I don't. I don't. I don't also think that it doesn't mean that we won't make bad decisions from time to time. We won't slip up and have a moment of weakness. But even then, when we do mess up, one of the beautiful things about the Spirit of God is the power of conviction that brings us back mm -hmm. to center. So if you had a robot that tripped, that we're kind of we're kind of discovering this now with AI. If I built a robot that tripped is one thing. If I built a robot that tripped, knew that a trip got back up that's considered a success, right? Mm -hmm. Like how brilliant does that robot have to be in order to automatically make the adjustments? Well, that's the nature of the spirit of God that's living within us, that when we do trip up, that conviction of the spirit reworks us from the inside and we're able to say, oh, that was wrong. I probably shouldn't do that again. That's what it means to live mm -hmm. just. And I do believe that that's available for all believers. Yeah, I love that. That's kind of like somewhere Paul talks about the maturing of believers and talks about you know, crawling and then walking mm -hmm. and you're going to stumble and everyone who's been around a baby learning to walk yep. knows that they fall all the time and yet you're still celebrating. And you would never look at a baby and say, oh, you're, you're defective. Yeah. Right? How many times do you hear a mom or dad pick up the baby and say something like, you're so perfect? No, the baby's going to mess up. It has the capacity of messing up. It's a baby. It can't even put words together. I mean, <laughs> literally does not know how to use the bathroom. It's required everything in them needs other people and yet we don't have a problem extending that that idea that this baby is right mm -hmm. same breath i would tell you that you can live right according to scripture the spirit of god working in us you he's made a way by which yeah. you can live right you can choose to live right yeah well speaking of babies 
We're heading to Mother's Day. Let's go. We're going to have child dedication. So if you're watching this and you're part of the Center City family, make sure to show up at one of our services. I love those child dedications. And we're going to keep going with our Kingdom Over Everything series. Which you're preaching. Mm -hmm. I'm super excited about. Because I do. I, 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 I'm a little frustrated that you got this week. I'm not going to lie. You want to give everybody a little bit of a snapshot? Yeah, we're actually going to kind of fast forward a little bit to towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount and talk about Kingdom Over Worry. Um, so really just kind of getting to the root of what we tend to worry about and what Jesus has to say about it. Man, worry is such a big issue in our culture, mm -hmm. um, specifically for a lot of moms right yeah. now living in kind of the environment we're living in um, with kids and just kind of some of the expectations of womanhood. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to hear yeah. you kind of. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, well, we will see you guys Sunday 9 and 11 a.m.